Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at Arroya.io. All right. It's Thursday at 4.20 p.m. Eastern. That means it's time for Office Hours, Arroyo's weekly session for cultivators to hear from the experts and talk to each other about what they're seeing in their grows. My name is Keisha, and I'm here in Pullman, Washington, co-moderating with my good friend Mandy. Mandy, how you doing? Hey, Keisha. How's it going? Super excited to be here for episode 42. Um, yeah, I'm also here in Pullman, just in a different room. We got sound going on in a bunch of different rooms. Um, we're also going live over on YouTube. Um, so I'll be monitoring, monitoring for your questions over there. Don't be afraid to go ahead and send those over. Um, make sure you're following us on Instagram and TikTok. I'm here to remind you of that too. Um, but you guys know how we do it. Let's go ahead and get to those crop steering questions that we got this week. Back to you, Keisha. Awesome. Thank you, Mandy. Yeah, if you have any questions here, you're live with us. Be sure to drop them in the chat at any time. If your questions pick, we'll go ahead and ask for you. And then also drop your email address in the chat to be entered into a drawing for some swag. Jason, hey. how are you? Great. It's so weird to be able to just like turn to you. I'm going to have to consciously do that. Are you ready for our first question? Sure. I love this question because it's a really good overview for us to start with. At Pengbugs wrote in, this is from Instagram. They want to know, does 25% runoff mean 25% of what's going in? Can you explain runoff properly for us, please? Yeah. So I guess where I want to start is, you know, what is properly? I think right now in the industry, most people do talk about runoff as a percentage of what's being fed as the irrigation. Um, I personally would love to see us do it as an overall water content um, change, just because that's what we look at when we are irrigating, you know, say, you know, we're going to irrigate 5% and we want 1% runoff. So it'd be a lot easier to track because we're not having to do an additional multiplier to get what that runoff value is. So pretty much everything which you're reading of, and if it is up at 25%, I'm also going to guarantee that's in relationship to the size of the feed. Um, so do keep that in mind. Um, I have always wanted to kind of just write up a document and talk about why it would be nice if we can standardize this in the industry. Um, obviously, some things have made great movement, like looking at EC rather than PPM of uh, nutrients. So uh, at some point, we just all need to get get together as members that are using this information and say, this is why we want to do it this way. Maybe we're used to doing it a different way, but what helps us on a daily basis make easier decisions make that uh, more transparent as far as how it relates to our, our plants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Getting in uh, some uh, standards, right. So that we can do our business and get that profitability in there. So yeah, love that. All right. I'm going to keep it moving. And uh, Lochi Turner wrote in on Instagram, submitted two questions this week, really good ones. So I'll start with this first one here. Why don't you begin P1 before the plant begins to transpire? Is it to do with root pressure and guttation? Um, you know, we don't see guttation a lot. Um, and I doubt we would see it in the morning specifically. Uh, the reason that we do start is just to allow the plant to get up to transpiration uh, so that it's pulling as hard as it can. When we do give it water, um, it works is one good reason. It, you know, if you do start a little bit earlier, we're probably not going to see any detrimental effects to the plants. Um, but we may not be able to achieve quite as fast of, of growth rate as we would if we do irrigate just after transpiration begins. So uh, some of the studies that I've seen with cannabis talks about 
full transpiration, um, you know, full photosynthesis taking about 45 minutes to turn on or turn off. Uh, so after the lights come on, say, you know, we're plant is ramping up transpiration rates, um, that photosynthetic, uh, growth rate that it's getting and, uh, up to you know, say 45 minutes before cannabis is fully active. I have a silly question. Maybe <laughs> what is gutation? I've never heard of that term before. Um, uh, so gutation is when it actually, um, water comes out of the cell walls, um, mm-hmm. because they can't hold that much. So rather than being, um, transpired through the stomate, it, it's overpressured in the cell walls and actually exits. I love just science. Through the, through the membrane. Amazing. Thank you. Learning something every episode. Excellent. Okay. Um, let me get into the second uh, question that Loshi sent us. When growing a strain for the first time, what parameters do you look for in P3 EC spikes in generative, vegetative, and ripening? Um, well, obviously, if we are running a certain strain for the first time, then I like to kind of be a little bit more abstract when I'm, I'm understanding how the plant's growing. Think about, all right, what are the plants that uh, we crossed in order to get this new strain? What is the physical output of the strain? So we've, we've been able to see uh, it grow to flower from who we purchased it from, per se. Um, then, you know, we might get some ideas on what to expect and how to how to dial in those parameters. Um, obviously, if it's also the first time, it's like, hey, is this we're trying to evaluate, is this the type of strain that we want to run? So you do want to get it kind of in the right path to being extremely productive. Um, so talk to who, who you got the clone from and see if they have any recommendations um, just to kind of help you get started in the right path. Uh, as far as getting, getting into the question specifically with P3 uh, or dry back, as I usually typically refer that phase to, uh, is that phase three, that phase phase as well is what I meant to say. Uh, EC spikes, I probably wouldn't get too concerned, especially if it's the you know first time I've run it for most cultivars during, you know, a hard generative push where we're say 22 hours of, uh, of dry back you know, outside of that two hour irrigation window per se, then we'll see ECs in the 12, 15, maybe a little bit higher. And really what we're watching for there is that our EC spikes don't last too long and that we have regular enough irrigations that we're not going to miss a day's irrigation. Right. Mm -hmm. So as long as that, uh, that EC spike doesn't happen for too long, that, that would really be the only concern of of those things getting too high up. Uh, best things that you can do first time you run a strain, document maybe even more than you you ever would with strains that you've run lots of times uh this is simply just to get you as familiarized with the day-to-day growth rates uh when you need to start doing your flip planning so you know when we come out of flower i always like to look at plant height uh, especially and maybe when we go from generative back to vegetative bulking then we want to have our, our plant height there as well. So we understand here's here's our choke points at when we're trying to control the plant and optimize how much volume it's taken in our room. Mm, documentation is data. Yeah. Yeah. My, my favorite way is obviously pictures. Yeah. Uh, I can capture tons of information. And yeah, it is nice to take manual readings like plant height directly in the system so that you can chart them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the very least, when you're taking a picture, have a yardstick taped to your 
your trellis pole in the background. Um, that way you can get at least some type of idea. If you, if you don't have time to document, you know, a, every other day plant height or every other, every three day plant height. Awesome. Yes. Excellent. All right. We've gotten a write in Mandy. What do we have going on over there? Yeah. yeah the questions are rolling in. Um, so yeah, from six millimeter beast, um, they wrote in, what does the little triangle next to the battery icon mean? Uh, I think that they're meaning in the app, in the Arroyo app. Uh, I Let me look at it specifically just so I can jot my memory. I think it's some type of yield or warning sign, if you will. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm guessing that's on the, the dashboard, unless you're talking about the signal triangle. Um I guess I could share my screen here if that made things easier, but maybe they just want to send a screenshot into our support team and have that selected and we'll jump, jump right on it. Yeah. Excellent. Get us a screenshot so we can get you some direct customer service over there. Cool. 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 Great. Well, yeah, we'll do that. And back to you, Keisha. Thank you, Mandy. All right. King Green Beast wrote in, why do the majority of consumers say finished product comes out better in cocoa versus rock wool? Any thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I, you know, I think we dropped on this a little bit last week, mm. probably because some of the product that they're getting out of Rockwell wasn't grown as, as well as some of the cocoa. Cocoa's more forgiving. Um, and, you know, we talk about this being, you know, Rockwell's kind of like the Ferrari of growing medias where it's going to get you some pretty awesome performance, but it's got to be taken care of very well. Uh, you know, if you hit a curb on the way, uh, Rockwell's not going to recover as easy. So, you know, something like Cocoa would be more like what we consider a Jeep. Uh, it's going to not be nearly as picky if we miss an irrigation. It's going to saturate better uh, if we don't uh, keep it above that that low water content. Uh, it does have some amount of CEC. So if we make some mistakes with uh, nutrient mixing, then it's going to buffer that out better than rock wool. So, you know, my, my guess there would just simply be that, you know, possibly some of the product they're getting from rock wool growers, some of those growers might be better off with cocoa. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that being said, from my personal experience, uh, I can't necessarily tell uh, a quality difference from the Brockwell growers who are uh, addressing, you know, the performance concerns. So if they're able to keep a very tight ship as far as environment, irrigation, and nutrient factors, uh, they're, they're going to produce a really high quality product as, as well as something that like cocoa. Uh, so, and typically you, you can produce actually a little bit more out of rock wool if you are pushing it really hard with a, a very well controlled system. Uh, so, Keep those things in mind. And a lot of times we will talk to people when they are thinking about switching from cocoa to rock wool, um, those concerns. So, you know, take a look at your systems. Do you operate exactly as you expect to operate? Mm-hmm. And can we follow some of the crop steering irrigation parameters? Uh, have we read the white papers from the manufacturers of that rock wool, all those types of things. Mm-hmm. So, and then again, obviously, you know, substrate size is key. Make sure that you have the right amount of substrate volume for the size of plants that you're trying to grow. Awesome. Thank you for that, Jason. Just a reminder to our folks who are on live, if you have any questions, now's your chance to get some answers from the expert. Just one today. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. We're going to keep it moving. We got great questions from Instagram this week. All right. Uh, Sergio Palaha wrote in, I always see people bragging about praying leaves. Is there such a thing as too much praying? In my opinion? No. Um, you know, usually what is going on with praying is that the plants are pretty happy. Uh, you know, you've got ample tugger pressure in the cells. And so rather than wilting, they are all nice and standing up. And actually in a lot of times at nighttime, we'll see the plants relax. If conditions are really, really good. A lot of times they won't relax quite as much. Um, obviously, we do want those plants not to always be pushing hard, but in a, in a pretty decent environment, if they are happy, they'll be slightly praying at night, uh, if you will. And so, you know, for my, my opinion, too much praying. No, your plants just growing as fast as you can possibly get it to grow. I need to look at my plants at night and see if they're praying. I've never done that before. My two girl, I have only have two. Wow. Yeah. So there's some really fun stuff you can do. Uh, I used to use security cameras for doing time-lapse videos of my plants oh, and check out yeah. how much they'd relax overnight. And, you know, you can actually start to measure it and be like, all right, well, you know, some of our fan leaves are, you know, dropping three inches at night. Um, and we're actually working on some products to kind of track that type of information. Mm. If you got an old Android cell phone, you can throw a, an app on there and mm. use it as a time-lapse camera. Mm -hmm. um, super fun things. And, you know, you can look at a whole grow cycle shoot that down into a minute or two minutes and you get to see how fast your plants are growing on a day-to-day -day oh. basis and kind of understand, all right, well, here's, here's the times that that thing really got crazy or, Hey, I can tell when I got an effective generative response from the plant because mm -hmm. it stopped stretching. We can see it right in the video. Um, so that's, that's really fun things to do. Uh, start reading up on dineural behavior as mm -hmm. dineural. So basically day and night, behaviors of plants. And that'll give you an idea of what the industry knows, knows about the, the effects of light and how the plant responds. Mm, this plant is endlessly fascinating. So good. I, I, I have an old Android. Perfect for the job. Great. <laughs> All right. Keeping it moving. Kevin Green, Kevin's Greens wrote in, if I'm adding humidity to the room and I have hard water that I'm not filtrating, will that calcium have an effect? Um, Yes, it will. So uh, I'm going to address kind of two ways in the question here because you're asking, will it have an effect? I'm guessing you're talking about in relationship to the plants, right? Uh, that's going to depend definitely on the type of humidifier you have. Uh, if, if it's like an ultrasonic humidifier, it's probably not actually going to get much calcium into the air. Um, so probably not a huge impact on the, the plants. What it will have an impact on is your humidifiers themselves. Um, other types of humidifiers, if it's just like a, a misting agent, um, yeah, you're definitely going to start to see a, a white powdery buildup on stuff. It mm -hmm. can be hard on equipment. You know, we'll see it on our sensors every once in a while. Um, so our recommendation always is to use RO and dehumidifiers if you can't, or excuse me, in humidifiers if, if you have the opportunity to. Uh, obviously if you don't, then try to do the absolute best job 
uh, maintaining and cleaning your equipment at least every cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Moving on. We're just powering through these questions. Live attendees, we want to hear from you. YouTube, what's up? How can we help you today? Let us know. All right. River City Grower, a good friend over there, wrote in a great question. When using a softwood meter after harvest, what are the water content parameters you shoot for, uh, shoot for in uh, WC percent? Yeah, so this is um, this is a great question, and I like it for a number of reasons. One is obviously using a softwood moisture meter is better than using nothing to document and test your equipment. Uh, we have a drying cannabis, the complete guide document um, right there at arroya.io backslash resources. Uh, I think our team might try and throw the, yeah. the link in here. Mm-hmm. And it's going to talk about exactly, you know, what moisture contents that, that you're trying to shoot for to one prevent mold. So be lower than a certain amount so that you don't have uh, product lost from bacterial growth. And then the other side of that is obviously trying to keep enough water content in there that we can maintain quality and weight on that product, um, not lose terpenes, other volatiles to the air. And so for the specifics of that, um, a lot of moisture content sensors, very likely like the one you're using, are going to have some type of accuracy on, say, plus or minus 1%, right? So if we're shooting for a water content of 11%, which is very realistic, right in the middle, trying to trying to keep our, our quality up and, and make sure our product's safe, um, that means a, an accuracy would be, say, we would be between 10 and 12. Well, one of the tough things here when why we like to use water activity rather than moisture content would be because if we are at say 10%, you know, the meter shows 11, but we're off by 1% accuracy, your your product's going to be down there at say 0.53, 0.55 water activity. And that's going to be drier than you actually really need. Um, conversely, if we see 11 on that meter, it's off by 1% and we come out at 12, we could be up in that, say, 0.66 range, which is actually above the 0.65 limit. So that's that's one of the struggles with some of the uh, lower grade moisture content sensors. You know, if you are using, uh, obviously, loss on drying type of moisture content, you can get a little bit more accurate than that, but now you're deteriorating the product, you have a longer sample cycle, all those types of things. So. Obviously, our recommendation is if you can, you know, get some access to uh, Aqualab. It's a, a, a dew point sensor that is going to give you an uh, a water activity reading uh, to 0.003 accuracy. And so that means that, you know, you can nail that moisture content at 11.16 to 11.28% to make sure that you're getting the best out of your product. So... Uh, yeah, dug into the details pretty deep there. If you want to check out even more with some good graphics that, that explain it better than I can just verbally get, uh, get on that complete drying guide and read, read through the whole thing and, and see how it can help you improve your product. 
Awesome, Jason. Yeah. Thanks for reminding um, our listeners, our attendees out there. We have a great um, resource um, hub on our website, arroya.io slash resources, our complete drying guide. I linked to it in the chat here, um, but also head over to our resources page. We have so much going on over there. So much goodness. Um, okay. Baby Got Drybacks just dropped in a question. They want to know what's the hardest strain to grow in your personal experience? Oh, well, it's been a while since I was growing a, a lot of unique strains. Um, we had a, we had a, let's see, it was where our sunset sherbet was actually kind of picky. Mm. Um, ironically, you know, some of those, those sherbet cuts have been, uh, crossed and been extremely effective. Um, so that, that was one that was a little bit smaller. And then I think I had a candy Jack that was definitely pickier than, than I could grow real well. Hmm. So, um, are those sativas? Um, you know, I honestly couldn't tell you. I know, I but they're, they're all hybrids anyway, right? Everybody. I'm just curious. <laughs> I was just wondering what the traits were and I wonder what made them so challenging. Um, I believe both of them were more indica leaning cause they mm. were typically short and bushy. Mm-hmm. Uh, from my experience, I've found that the, the heavier, Sativa, at least with the um, growing morphology that would indicate that it's more sativa, say stretchier and longer. Mm-hmm. Typically, those are a little bit less picky ah. from my experience mm-hmm. and that they they'll just eat it up. Um, so oh, these magical plants. Wonderful. Oh, all right. We got in another live question here, just here for the memes. 2222 wrote in, they want to know what are the main ways Arroya helps increase the quality of my final product? I love that question. Yeah. Um, so let's start at the very beginning and and talk about the ways that it it helps people stay consistent with their growing cycles. Uh, obviously by documenting your harvest groups, you can take the ways that have produced a high quality product and replicate them. Um, you've got enough data logged that you can understand. All right. When we fool with this variable a little bit, maybe we get higher yield, but less quality. So let's not fool with that variable. Um, so yeah, start, you know, starting in as early as clones, you can start documenting some information in the system. And then when you get into veg, we always encourage people to use water content sensors uh, in their, veg blocks as well. So let's say if you're in a four by four by four starter Rockwell cube, get some Taros 12s in there, start getting an understanding of how fast your drybacks happen and how much faster they dry, uh, they happen as the plant gets bigger through veg. I was working with a client the other day that cut seven days off their veg time by using our seven system. Seven days. That's and, amazing. I mean, that's that adds up quick. You yeah. know, if we're running five and a half or six cycles a year, getting a, a whole week back means that we get another month and a half of, uh, of flowering mm-hmm. out of those plants. Yeah. So very cool to hear that they basically just optimized the dryback rates of their plants to know when to irrigate. Um, so that's, uh, that's definitely a huge factor. Obviously we've got the documentation factor throughout, um, veg as well, keeping your environment, Mm-hmm. on tabs, having a system that's monitoring if your environment is on tabs. So I think those are all playing into consistency, which should be making sure that you are increasing the quality of your final product. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another way is 
listen to these shows, kind of take advantage of some of the knowledge that we've spent a lot of years um, and a ton of time interacting with uh, researchers, clients to basically distill what has been successful. So, you know, make sure you're dropping in on these, take advantage of our knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, through flower, do some crop steering. That's definitely going to help your quality You make sure you are getting a, a timely bud set and optimizing, uh, you know, using osmotic potential and some, uh, differences, day, night, uh, differentials, all those type of things that we talk about to get the biggest expression, uh, out of the plant, both physically and chemically. So, um, probably could go on forever about, about how much we can help you achieve quality with the system. And obviously we're doing our best to keep implementing features in the system that, that allow you to use it easier mm. to document other features of how your plant's growing. And, and overall, if your job's easier and you get a little bit more time to spend with the plants, uh, you're, you're going to be able to read them as well physically. So uh, that's one of my favorite things about technological advancements was I went from being able to be in the grow for, you know, maybe an hour or two a week to being able to be in the grow an hour or two a day, at least taking pictures and trying to understand that the differences in strains that we could continue optimizing them. So mm -hmm. yeah, use don't feel like a slave to your technology. Use your use your technology to increase how much time you actually have to spend hands on with the plants. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, we're we always talk about we want to make growers lives easier. But, you know, we're in a period where it's about profitability. You've got results that you have to account for. And this kind of this data, all this extra information really just helps you be able to do your job better and ultimately have better profitability. If you've got that consistency locked in, if you're able to shorten uh, your production times, all of that, that's better for your company, better for your bottom line, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. All right. We just got um, a question in the chat here and I'm going to say your name wrong, but Guita, do you want to uh, unmute yourself and go ahead and ask it or should I ask for you? All right. I'll go ahead and ask. Actually, they want to know, they're looking to set up a meeting with the Arroyo team to figure out how we can take advantage of Arroyo. Um, so what's the, what's the process generally for anybody who's interested in setting up a meeting with us? Yeah. So the best way to get a meeting as quick as possible would be jump on Arroyo.io and uh, top right in the system, there's going to be a, a get started and type in your email press get started and it's going to ask you to sign up for uh, a meeting with our, our sales team and why this is easiest for us. Cause we can ask some questions so that when we jump on the meeting, we know, you know, what some of your goals are, what facility type you are, all that information to help make sure that the face-to-face -face interaction on the video call is as effective as possible and make the most of your time and our time and get you guys an idea of how much it costs, what the set of processes are going to be like once you do purchase and, and what you can expect as an outcome after you've began successfully using the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Guita, so much. Uh, really appreciate you asking that question. That's so good. Good to walk that folks through the, the process here. Um, and thank you for uh, joining us today. It's great to have new folks. Um, Mandy, looks like we got a live question in there. Yeah, we did. Uh, we got a question from Canadian Grower. Uh, they wrote in, they want to know, 
which countries do our sensors work in right now? And can we explain why they're not sold in some countries? Yeah, great question. So right now the the radio chip um, that we're using, it's has to be licensed by FCC here in the United States. And for some of the other countries, we haven't necessarily gone through the licensing to uh, legally release it in, in other countries. Uh, we're definitely working um, on making some changes to the radio and, and trying to get licensed because we'd, we'd love to start getting into Europe and uh, some of the other countries where people are struggling to get our equipment, but really would like to, to take advantage of it. So our apologies, we are, are doing our best to make it available across the world. Global. But the information, Office Hours is global. You can access us from anywhere. Um, all of our resources on Arroyo.io, you can access us from anywhere and hit us up if you have any questions at any time, um, because we can all learn from crop steering for sure. Um, wonderful. Okay. Um, so Jason, we're, we're just kind of hanging tight. Hey, live attendees, this is your chance. If you have any questions for Jason, you can ask him, answer him live. So drop that in the chat. Um, and oh. Michael has a question. Michael, you want to unmute? You want me to go ahead and ask for you? I'm going to go ahead and ask. Chime in if you have anything else. Yep. Poor signal. We get that. Okay. Michael wants to know, what DLA do you prefer for veg and flour? And how long do you take to transition to full intensity? Yeah. Awesome question. Obviously, I always love talking about light. If you get me started on it, I usually go on some tangent after talking about light for a while. It's, it's your world, Jason. We're just living in it. It's my, one of my favorite aspects and, and where we're at with, uh, with cannabis and some of the led technology that, that people are working on and, um, photomorphogenesis, all that stuff. Back to the question, uh, DLI, do I prefer for veg and flour? How long to transition to full intensity? So, um, let's start with flour. Uh, usually by the time that I'm, you know, even a week into flower, I'd like to be at full intensity. So 45 is a really nice DLI to be at. Obviously this can depend a little bit on what your spectrum is coming from your lights. Are they LED? Are they HPS? Uh, just because that can affect the the rates of your plants. Obviously if we're hitting the chlorophyll receptors at chlorophyll A and chlorophyll B, then the, the lights are going to be a little bit better at getting the plant to grow, even at the same DLI from a sensor. Um, so yeah, it, you know, if you can get up into that 45 range, usually that's a start of high performance. And if you've got sufficient CO2 supplementation, sometimes you go a little bit higher, uh, different strains are going to accept those higher parameters slightly different as well. So obviously making sure you're documenting how they, uh, how they respond to that. Um, for veg, I like to be at a pretty high intensity. So, you know, maybe, um, going from somewhere like say, you know, 15, um, for a DLI when you start with, and maybe up to say 30, um, maybe even more depending on how big you, you veg those plants out. And probably, you know, the, one of the most important things that I like to talk about, um, which historically has been under controversy. And that is when we go from our 18, six light cycle to our 12, 12, you know, some people are like, oh, we're going through transplant stress and, um, you know, we need to baby these into light intensity. Well, when we break down the science of it and cannabis isn't actually a very picky plant, um, 
it's going to eat up a lot of light if we can get it to it. And so if we're under an 18-6 light cycle, we uh, we have 18 hours that it's accumulating energy, mm-hmm. right? So our DLI is our intensity times by our duration, right? So if we've got an intensity of, say, 500 micromoles and we're at 18 hours, when we transition to a 12-hour time frame, we're going to have a smaller DLI unless we up the intensity, what the plant is feeling is that it's actually lost some of the amount of energy that it gets to continue growing. So rather than babying the lights, uh, when we transfer from veg to flower and looking at the intensity and be like, Hey, we need to match the intensity. Well, we actually really need to match the DLI, meaning that we need to up our intensity by about 33%. That's how many less hours that we're getting when we switch from 18.6 to 12.12. So we need to make sure that we make that up in the 12 hours that the plants are getting light. So, you know, if you're hitting them with say 500 micromoles um, at the end of veg in the 18.6 light cycle, then you need to up those to say, um, what, 650, 700, um, at, you know, at least 33%. So, I guess I didn't do that math perfectly in my head, but um, yeah, make sure that you are getting the same DLI when you come out of veg and, and start flower. That's probably one of the things that uh, helps a lot of people that aren't doing it. Um, you know, next time I'll chat with them, be like, Hey, yeah, we we're seeing explosive growth during our um, rooting in and they can start their generative uh, stacking steering a little bit earlier. Um, they have happier plants. Mm. So yeah, those are obviously really wide range, rough numbers. Um, I, what I would do is keep up in the light intensity until you find the, the edge of success. Uh, <laughs> these, these, these plants love the light. So obviously if they've got roots, it's not super likely that, uh, that you're going to push them way too hard if you're within reason of, of light, light intensity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, if in veg, up it a little bit every few times, see how they respond. Um, you know, in flower, maybe if you've got some Samar and D rooms, uh, play with the spectrums and and try and try and document what your lights specifically do. If you're from a reputable manufacturer, they're all going to have um, a spectrum analysis available from the the manufacturer on on that light as well so keep that in mind you know if you're using a few different manufacturers in your facility like i see a lot don't necessarily assume that they're going to affect the plant perfectly the same with uh with that dli so um kind of just some minute details but uh i hope that answers your question yeah michael great question thank you so much for asking and if there's anything else that you want to know please drop that in the chat i have to say i um oh here we go what did he write here thank you i like 30 for veg and a transition to the 43 through 48 range when favorable conditions prevail uh gavita 1930s uh michael you should be answering the questions here instead of me That's it. All about that resource sharing. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, yeah, I was going to say, you know, we're in Croptober. Very exciting. I'm not nearly as experienced with uh, cultivation as the rest of y'all. Like I said, I have two plants left. Do you have any advice for me after I fly home? I'm really just trying to make sure I know when it's time to harvest. Any advice for this uh, little I mean, home grower doing it solo for the first time? When when to harvest? Yeah. Uh, well, if you're dependent on the seasons, then before they freeze, uh, oh, okay. would be a good time to do it. Yeah. Uh, if you're not too worried about the plants dying, 
um, like I do in my garden about these time of year, uh, look to trichomes. So okay. usually your trichomes are going to be one of the easiest ways to tell if your plant is ready to harvest. Um, you know, if you're doing something like a, a live, um, live resin or some fresh frozen type of output, mm. um, probably not for you, No, not for me. For other people, uh, you know, just before they start to turn cloudy or right as they're starting to turn cloudy, that's when you want to harvest. Um, if you are going to, to flower, that cloudiness is going to begin to come amber. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you want sometimes a, a little bit more flavor, you know, my favorite time is when we see about say 50 to 60% of those trichomes nice and amber. Ah, okay. Um, I, I like the white, the real clean white product. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are some people out there that I can prefer after the trichomes get a little bit more amber than that as mm -hmm. well. Um, if you start to see a little bit of red in there, you probably, probably miss the ideal harvest time. Okay. Then I've gone too far. Okay. I think I'm on track. Thank you for that. I do have an Arroyo jewelers loop. I will be magnifying and looking at those trichomes. I'm very excited about that, but yeah, this is my first time doing it solo and, uh, they look beautiful. And one of the things that I used to do, um, I had a digital camera for our microscope, uh, at the cultivation facility mm -hmm. and I would take a picture and log the age for that cultivar as well. Mm -hmm. So when I started to see that trichome, um, change colors. Uh, ideally, would capture it before it even became cloudy, and then take a snapshot every day. And we could say, "Hey, you know, after we see some cloudiness in that, let's expect it to, to be down in three days." Um, and then, obviously, if you do a really good job, then you know that exact timeline from when you begin to plant. And that kind of comes into consistency. Hey, if we can just control all of these other variables, our production planning becomes so much easier because we're not having to, to shuffle some of uh, our organization organization around. We can make sure we've got our staff prepped, um, our equipment, you know, supplies needed to take care of that product mm. at the right timeline. So mm -hmm. um, obviously if you're in a greenhouse, it takes some amount of years to get that all documented because of our cycle spring to summer to fall to winter. Um, sometimes those are going to have unintended effects that you can't control, you know, talking mm -hmm. about natural sunlight, suggesting our spectrum, um, even if we ha do have supplementation. So um, yeah, uh, in indoors is going to make it a little bit more repeatable. Um, but I always enjoy the challenge of greenhouses too. So. Mm -hmm. I love that considerations for Croptober. Lucky for me, I am my only customer, but for the rest of you, um, that's really, really great, uh, run, run down on, on just this time of year. It's just so exciting <laughs> for me anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that closes out the the session today, we don't have any more live questions in. So you, you guys are all covered. We appreciate y'all for joining us. Any final words before we sign off, Jason? No, good, good luck getting all the, the product down for you outdoor growers and uh, for all you indoor growers. Keep listening in. Keep asking us questions. Uh, Y'all, our audience is the ones that makes this show work. So keep uh, keep participating if you can. That's it. Thank you, Jason, for yet another great conversation. To my co-moderator, Mandy, thank you so much for that. Thank you all for joining us for this week's Royal Office Hours. We do this every Thursday. And the best way to get answers from the experts is to join us live. If you have any questions about Arroyo, feel free to book a demo. Our experts will talk you through how it can be used to improve your cultivation production process. But as always, if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode of Office Hours, um, post it in the chat. Send us an email at support.arroya at metergroup.com. 
or send us a DM over Instagram. We do love to hear from you. And like Jason said, we are here for you. Um, we record every session. We'll email everyone in attendance and link to the video from today's conversation. It'll also be on the Arroyo YouTube channel. Be sure to like, subscribe and share while you're there. And if you find these conversations helpful, please do spread the word. Thank you so much, Jason. And thanks everybody. We'll see you next week. See y'all. Bye. Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroyo, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at Arroyo.io.